Turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Verses 35 through verse 41. Let me pray. Father, even reflecting on those words, we hear and believe that you are love. God is love, and you do not fail us. You have lavished your love upon us in Jesus Christ. You have displayed your love in sending your Holy Spirit. And you will once and for all uh, display your love in yeah, finishing what you have started, bringing us to be with you and dwell forever. You are our hope. Christ is our hope. As we even sung today that through every stormy gale, Jesus is Lord of all. And so we pray now that you would fix our eyes on him, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Him, who is the author and perfecter of all that is good. Him, who is our hope in marriage. And so we pray that you would now, through your word, speak to us, strengthen us, help us, um, that we would know you more, that we would love you more, and that we would love one another more. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, not about you, but, but in recent years I've encountered more and more men and women who don't want to be married at all. Um, and if they're going to be married, they'd like to wait a while, maybe even into their 30s, into their 40s. And, and in interacting with these men and women, or even who are dating and thinking about marriage, but yet unwilling to go further, just uncertain, anxious. And really, some of what it boils down to in these conversations is, I just want to make sure that this person I marry is that we're not going to have problems. <laughs> that it's not going to be, you know, it's like test driving 19 cars, right? That some of yeah, you want a car that looks good, that's this or that, but in a way you just, what's the car that if I buy this, they'll just, it'll give me no trouble, no difficulties, no whatever it may be. I think there's a danger for all of us, whether going into marriage or living in marriage, to make that our hope. Just ease, comfort, low maintenance. You know, whatever it is that we're about to get into can just from the wedding day on just hit cruise control. Because I've so perfectly chosen the person, and you've so perfectly chosen me, we're so perfectly compatible. That there'll be no real faith needed, even though we'll never say that. No real dependence on Jesus needed. And Jesus, the Lord has a way of just blowing all that up. He just has a way of not letting us go through life that way. And I don't think He does it by make, giving us awful marriages or terrible, but just by always keeping us off balance. Finding ways with his disciples to, to never let us get too comfortable in our own strength, too comfortable in our own 
willpower or choices. And, and we see one of those moments here in the Gospel of Mark. If Just you read the Gospel sometimes and then just plant yourself in the stories and think, what would it be like to just walk with him every day? What would it be like to be one of his disciples day to day? You talk about not sleeping some nights. Like there'll just be nights where it's like, all right, no, we fed the 5,000. Y'all are tired. You bust some tables. It's almost midnight. Get in the boat. You're going to go to the other side. You're going to row all night against the wind. And we're going to do some water walking at 3 a.m., you know. And then they're going to get to the shoreline on the other side at sunup, and there's just a multitude that meets them. Ministry starts all over. They haven't slept. You think, what, what would we do? <laughs> We have another one of those moments here in verse 35 where it says, On that day when evening had come, after a long day of ministry, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea Obey him. Again, keeping them off balance, putting them in situations where they didn't see coming, but a great storm was going to arise. And all of this is going to be, as we'll look at, so that he would learn to fix their hope where he wants their hope. To learn to fix their fears where he wants their fears, because hope and fear are two sides of the same coin. Wayne Mack once said, show me your fears and I'll show you your hopes. <laughs> because the things that we fear will always reveal what do we really hope in? What do we really bank on? What are the things that if taken away we believe we can't live without? We can't survive? What are the things we think we so desperately need that life without it can't happen? Titus 1, 1 through 3, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Here's the apostle Paul that believes he's been given his apostleship, sent out into the world for the sake of the faith of the elect to fix their hopes on the promises of God. That's what he's saying. It's his whole mission. How do I serve in God's name the, the faith of the elect and help them put their hope where it should be placed, where God wants it? So the main point for this time is the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for hope in marriage. It is the power of God for your hope in marriage. And so just ask yourself, what, if you're honest, do you tend to put your hopes 
in. And it begins with a promise. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. That's the promise. Let's go across. And the way that he makes the statement implies that he intended to arrive on the other side. We're getting in the boat. We're going. We're getting there. In other words, he does give them that kind of promise, that kind of goal. This is where we're going. But he's not going to say anything about what it's going to be like to get there. He's not going to say anything about how comfortable or easy or hard it'll be. Only we're going and we're going to the other side. We're going to get there. And the promise also means he's going with them. There's going to be a time later when he's going to send them on ahead without him and he's going to go to the mountain and pray. But that's going to be to make a different point. Right now, he's saying, I'm going with you. We're going together to the other side. He's going to make the journey with him. Which then brings us to the circumstances. So that's the promise. Now the circumstances. There's a crowd with them when they depart. There's all these other boats with them. Which again, lends to the fact that this is after a long day of ministry. They're probably tired. It's late. It's getting dark. All of us think this is not a great time for a big storm on the sea test of faith exercise. Yet, this is when he's going to put it there. How often is that when the Lord most tests our faith? When we're most tired? When we're least open to it? And yet, at the same time, the waters of the Sea of Galilee appeared smooth. The evening's going to seem calm enough for sailing. The disciples, we see, give no objection to setting out from the shore, which is, again, suggesting that the circumstances look straightforward and calm. Other boats are going to begin the journey with them. And we know that from the story that their willingness to go isn't from great faith, but really from great circumstances. All right, it looks, let's get in the boat, go to the other side, looks calm enough. And only the Lord knows what's coming. Everything looks safe. (laughs) And there's a comfort in that, I think, for all of us even going into marriage, that everything can look fine. That doesn't guarantee anything. Or or things could look hard. But that doesn't doom anything. Only the Lord knows what's coming. Verse 36, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And as we'll see in a little while, that's a detail that's crucial to the journey. He's with them. None of the other boats that are going out can boast of that. That Jesus is in their boat, crucial to what they're about to learn. And so they set out from shore. Then it says immediately, a great windstorm arose, apparently out of nowhere. This is a windstorm that some of these men who are in this boat spent their entire lives on the Sea of Galilee as fishermen. And they never saw this coming. But a fierce gale, a great windstorm is going to rise. And this is going to be disturbing to some of us. When we read these kind of passages, especially if you're a control freak, if you love more than anything to predict stuff, to control stuff, to only make decisions and only move forward if you've got seven sort of contingency plans lined out, if you've looked at everything and measured it back and forth, Okay, everything looks calm, everything looks good. Okay, let's get in the boat, now we go. Well, then a fierce gale comes, apparently out of nowhere. So if our hope is being in control, then life with God will freak you out. 
Right? And so you just have to ask, you, is that something I have hope in? Hope in control. Hope in things being in my hands. Hope in knowing what's coming. Hope in having enough sort of backups that no matter what goes wrong, we'll, we'll figure it out. Or if you look to expertise as hope, or wealth as hope, or health as hope, or enough in savings as hope, just anything to insulate us from trouble and pain, where that becomes for us part of the mission is just, okay, what do I need to do to insulate us that this won't happen? Well, then a great windstorm will arise from nowhere and threaten everything upon which we've put our hope, everything in which we've invested our hope. God will find a windstorm for you, one that fits. And that's not lack of love. That's not hate. That's not God mistreating. That's it's God loving you. And so I think this is the part of the story that can either be a great terror to us or a great comfort to us. If again, if we, if we want control, then this will terrify us. If we're learning to trust the Lord and we want Him to sanctify us and grow us and teach us and conform us to His image, and then this can be comforting to us. No amount of planning, no amount of preparation, no amount of control and their lives could have prevented this moment and what's happening. And it didn't take long, we see, for their vessel to be in trouble. And I mean big trouble. Look at what it says. The waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. And again, they're not out on a pond or a little lake. This is the Sea of Galilee. And so we need to think much, much bigger. Big waves. And they're on a vessel that waves are crashing over and into the boat so that it's taking on water and beginning to fill and sink. Anybody here been in a situation like that ever before? Anybody? You have? Somebody has? You have. So what are you thinking at this moment? It's all going, and you're thinking, what's your hope to get out? I mean, and it's a kind of, I've heard sailors describe it, where you start going, this is it. This is the end. We're taking on water. We're going down. There's no way out. Shore is so far away. You know, who's going to rescue us? And that's the situation they're in. It's a serious storm. It's a serious situation. And then remember, above all that, it's nighttime. They can't see anything. This isn't deadliest catch where they've got lights all over the deck and like GPS systems and a coast guard that they just call. They're, out, they're far from shore in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in a storm taking on water and it's night. They can't see what wave's going to hit them next. Little control over their vessel, little, no control over the storm. They're completely at the mercy of God, which is exactly where he wants them. And so ask yourself, how do you do, what do you do in moments where your only hope is the mercy of God? Where he's removed, every exit is blocked. 
Every bailout strategy is closed. Just the mercy of God. When you think about it, many of us spend far too much time and energy and resources avoiding these very moments in life. All right, this is, this is often what we spend much time planning around, preparing for, anything we need to do to make sure we're never in that situation. Making decisions in such a way that we're never in this kind of situation. Now, I will say I believe in wisdom. I don't believe we should create storms for ourselves. I don't think we should just foolishly walk past every signal that this is not a wise decision. What we're talking more here is just arranging our lives in such a way trying to arrange our marriage in such a way, our home in such a way, that there's just never any trouble. We just don't really need God. Where if God comes through, hey, that's great, but if he doesn't, we'll work it out. And just how much energy we'll expend without realizing it, setting it up that way. And we'll often strive against the Lord in making safety and ease of life our top priority. And just how often do we see that in the ministry of Jesus with his disciples, his top priority? Now, are they in good hands? Is he going to take care of them? Oh, yeah. Are their souls secure? Certainly, those who are his, he's not going to lose. But does he make their comfort level his top priority? How often do we see him saying things like, oh, I don't want to ask too much of you. I don't want to put you out. Or does he just, let's get in the boat and go out in a storm without warning, of course. Our hope is in refuge is somewhere and in something. We have to ask ourselves, where is it? The Lord will have his perfect and good way with us, no matter how much We try to control it. No matter how much we try to arrange it, the storms will come. And too often under our constant protest, and too often in the middle of the storm, we miss the splendor of Jesus Christ that he's trying to show us in the middle of the storm, which is what he's about to do for them. It's exactly what he intends to do with these men on the Sea of Galilee. Show them who he is and in revealing more of himself, give them something they'll never see if everything's always easy. Which brings us to the next point, the Savior. The promise, the circumstances, and now the Savior. The situation, from God's point of view at least, has been set up beautifully. They're somewhere far from shore. Waves are crashing against and into the boat. They're taking on water. And Jesus Christ is 10 feet away, asleep in the stern of the boat, asleep on a cushion. (laughs) Which we have to look at that and go, that's incredible. What is he doing? (laughs) What is going on? He's not faking it, by the way. He is out. He is sleeping. And we just have to ask, what is he doing? Well, I would propose three things he's doing here. One is he's displaying what true peace really looks like. A peace that's not as the world gives. A peace that's as he gives. A peace based on the promises and the power of God. A peace that's wrought from the Holy Spirit. A peace 
that remembers what he said. This is where we're going. A peace that is entrusted to the Father. So it's worth asking yourself, if you had a blank canvas and somebody handed you paints and paintbrushes and you're asked to draw a picture of peace, what's your version of peace? What would it look like? I know for me it would be, yeah, there'd be a boat and out on this little lake, it'd be very calm. You know, not, there'd be a gentle breeze so I wouldn't have to row. So a little bit of water, gentle breeze, little boat, my wife, friends, somebody with a violin, <laughs> someone feeding grapes, right? And then just a nice sunset to sort of look at and, right, that's our version of peace. I, I, I haven't seen it yet. I'd love to see the artist do this picture of peace. A boat in a storm with waves crashing in and Jesus asleep on a cushion. That God goes, that's peace. A peace that the world cannot give you. A peace that only he can give you. A peace that is not stormless, but a peace that is despite the storm. He remembers what he said. We're going to go over to the other side. He didn't say it'd be easy. And so he thinks that peace and hope can still happen in the storm. Second thing he's doing, I think, is just exposing the disciples to help them see where they placed their faith, where they put their hope, where they put their peace. Because if you were to ask the disciples, hey, is your hope in God? What do you think they'd say? Oh, yeah totally hope in God. That's where my faith is. And you ask many of us as Christians, where's your faith? Where's your hope? Where's your peace? We know the right answer. Oh, it's in God. It's in Christ. It's in... But it's only when the storm comes that we really see where it is. By now, they've already seen him cast out demons. They've seen Jesus heal a bunch of people. They've seen him confront the Pharisees with power and authority. So they've seen him in action, but now under these circumstances, their lives are in danger. Where's their hope? So ask yourself, when storms hit your life, what tends to come out of your soul? What false hopes start to be exposed? So I think Jesus is displaying, here's true peace. Jesus is exposing. Here's where your hope is. But then thirdly, I think he's creating a situation where the disciples have to do something with him. To create some situation where they have to move and act upon what they believe or don't. What are we going to do with Jesus? Here we are in this situation and he's conked out. So another question to ask, when storms hit, and Jesus Christ seems out of it to you, what do you do with him? What do you say to him? How do you cry out to him? And the situation we see here forces them to do something with Jesus. Do they leave him asleep and just paddle harder to get out? Do they cry out and wake him up? Will they trust in what he said? Perhaps they'll still wake him up and cry out, but full of faith, full of hope. So what will they do? 
What would you do? What do you do when the storm hits? Well, they decide to wake him. You know, they don't just wake him. They wake him and attack him. And they're going to attack two particular things about him. Number one, you don't care. And number two, you're not in control. They say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And in that question, in that statement, you hear two doubts about him. Jesus, you're not good. If you're good, we wouldn't be in this. And Jesus, you're not in control. You're not sovereign. Because if you were, we wouldn't be in this. And every anxiety, every worry in all of our lives tend to be fed by those two streams of doubt. God is not good, and God is not sovereign in my life. God does not care, and God's not in control. Those are the two streams that feed all of our anxieties, all of our worries. There are going to be two things that Jesus is going to wake up and address. Anxiety and worry tell us that our hope is not in the appearing of Jesus Christ, not in his promises, not in the hope he gives us of eternal life, but, but something else. And it's often the storms that expose it. And then moves us to the point, which is our next point. Once again, the stage has been set beautifully. The storm is assaulting the boat. The circumstances are dire. The disciples are in a complete panic. And Jesus Christ is being aroused from his place of rest. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. He's going to prove about himself the two things that they doubt. Firstly, he does care. He is good. Think about all the things he could have done. Like he's fast out, finally getting some sleep. They come, shake him. Jesus, don't you care? We're dying. He could have just rolled over and gone back to sleep, right? He could have just let the boat sink and everybody swim to shore if they could make it. He could have just stood up, thrown them all out, drowned them, and found 12 new guys tomorrow. He could have said, okay, enough. None of that. Now he's going to stand and rebuke the winds and the waves. Not just help, but calm the storm. We even see in this picture just his mercy, his grace, his patience with those of little faith. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That this is what God does with us. Even when our little faith is exposed, he's going to care. He's going to speak. He's going to address, as we'll see, the little faith, but not without helping. Not only does he carries totally and forever in control. With a word, the wind ceases to blow and the waves disappear. In other words, the same voice that brought the storm, that they don't even know, that we'll see in a little bit, Scripture is going to suggest Jesus is the one who brought it. That same voice is the one that's going to dispel it. So he's going to hear them. He's going to care. He's going to display he cares. And he's going to display his power. And then he addresses his disciples directly. After rebuking the wind, he rebukes them. 
Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Ouch. He goes straight for the root of the problem. How offensive is it when people say to you, I think your faith is small? Are you allowed to say that these days? How often did Jesus point it out? I'm not trying to be rude or mean or insensitive. He's just trying to get right to the nerve center of what's going on. Do you still have no faith? It wasn't his lack of care or power. It, wasn't, it was their lack of faith. It wasn't that his promises were void, but their hope wasn't in him. That's what he's pointing out. And what I think Jesus isn't asking them to do is put their faith and hope in the fact that he'll make circumstances easy. But rather, where is your faith in me, the one who's near to you, the one who's with you, the one who cares for you, the one who will never forsake you, the one who keeps promises, the one who gives his life for you? Some of you know the passage in Luke 18 where Jesus tells the parable of an unrighteous judge who finally hears the petition of a widow because she just comes so much. And the the judge realizes, man, she's going to wear me out. I'm just going to give her justice because of her perseverance, her persistence. And Jesus is going to use that as an example of, you know, will not God bring justice to his elect? If that's what an unrighteous judge does, How much more God, who's righteous? Jesus put it this way, Will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. So what do you think he means by quickly? When when you just get God's sense of time, what is his version of quick deliverance? When Peter says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace will restore you. Well, what's the little while? Your lifetime. So he will give you just quickly. You'll only suffer a little while. What do you mean? Your life on earth. But then eternity. And then what will life on earth look like? A mist. As he says, here today, gone tomorrow. Will he not bring justice quickly? However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's the question he's going to ask. He says, the the question, will God deliver? Wrong question. God will deliver. What's the right question? Will you believe? God will come through. That's not the wild card. Is God in control? That's not the wild card. That's not the variable. The variable is, will we trust him? Will we entrust ourselves to him? That's the real question. I've always been convicted by and appreciated a couple lines from the great hymn, Be Still My Soul, if you know that hymn by Katharina von Schlegel. Where we sing it, she wrote it, Be still my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope Thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. Isn't that a great line. She's taking it from this story. The winds and waves know who's in charge. 
The winds and waves, when Jesus says, peace be still, they be still. They know whose voice rules them. And she's saying, how much more our souls? How much more those he's redeemed? That when our Savior says, be still, I'm with you. Hush, I've got you. you know, be at peace, I'll protect you to the end. Can we go, okay, I'll be still. The waves and winds know who rules him, but do I. And do I respond to him in his voice as the very person and voice of God? Those are the questions that I think the disciples are going to be led to here in this passage. They, it says here, they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That, by the way, is the point of the story. To bring them to that question, who is this? <laughs> that even the winds and the waves obey him. They were afraid of the storm, it says, but they're very much afraid now. Why? Who's greater, the storm or the one who calms it? You know, there was a fierce gale, but there's someone more powerful than that who just speaks and it calms. Now they're really afraid. <laughs> who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. Psalm 107 actually answers that question for us. Or in verse 23, it says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Psalm 107. What's Psalm 107? Who is Psalm 107 talking about there? Who brought the storm and who hushed the storm? God. So that now as they're asking, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What does Psalm 107 tell them? It's God. God's in your boat. God in human flesh is who's with you. And that's where I get this idea that it's his voice that brings the stormy waves. It's his voice that ceases them. Who then is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? He is the Lord God. And so then the question comes, will we trust him? Will our hope be in him? Will we follow him no matter where he leads us? Will his word have sway over our souls? Which brings us to the conclusion Namely, trust Him. Rest in Him. What is the hope of your marriage? Well, Jesus is in your boat. That's the hope. He's with you. He's for you. No storm will come that He hasn't planned for. No storm will come that He hasn't authored. No storm will come that He doesn't intend to help you through, protect you through. 
But yet as he does it, expose things about you. Show things to you. And most importantly, reveal himself to you. These men will not be the same men when they hit the other shore. And so we have to ask ourselves, would I rather have an easy, peaceful journey and not really know God on the other side? Or would I rather have some storms, get to the other side and say, Jesus is Lord. He is mighty. He is faithful. He is the redeemer of my soul. He, his words can be trusted. He won't lose me. He won't lose us. He will help us. And we have to be careful not to desire peaceful, easy, smooth sailing and not need God, not know God, create a life for ourselves where we don't need God. This is Peter in 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And just that idea, though, now grieved by various trials, that your faith may be tested, refined, grown, so that we would learn to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning when he comes, we go hallelujah. We never want to be in danger of Jesus showing up and we're disappointed because he's interrupting our fun. We were just about to retire to the golf course and he had to come back. And we were just about to go on our great vacation and Wow, we just got our house paid off and got the kids off the country. We got, man, life is working. And then Jesus appears like, oh, bummer. That's not what he wants. <laughs> but rather, our hope be so fixed on him that when he appears, it is an actual deliverance. It is an actual cause for rejoicing. And that this and marriage is what we're given to each other to keep encouraging in each other. Let us hope in him. Let us, in our marriage, hope in him. Let us not go through life just trying to insulate ourselves from every trouble, which, again, can be a danger if you spend your whole life in Lancaster County and you're related to every fourth person and you have more resources than you could imagine, more safety nets than you can count, where you don't even really have to push out from shore. You can just stack all your boats together and walk across, right? Where it's tempting to fall into just that sort of a lull without realizing it, of storm avoidance. Whereas, and then when those moments do come where the Lord does bring a fierce gale, we just run back to shore. And maybe we go, you know what, last time I'm in a boat. Because you know by this time when Jesus starts saying things like, let's get in the boat, they're like, oh, no. We know what happens when we get in boats with him. 
But by the end, they're going to be going, oh, okay, we know that when we get to the other side, we're going to see some stuff. We're going to believe some stuff. We're going to grow in some ways that we just can't learn on the shore. So according to the mercy of God in Christ, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope, not a dead hope. And the one who wrote that was someone who was in the boat with him during this story, (laughs) where he could tell you firsthand, oh yeah, we are protected by the power of God for salvation. Though now, for a little while, we're grieved by various trials, he's growing our faith. He's preparing us for that day. He's fixing our hope in him. And then Peter could just look back on story after story after story where Christ did that very work. So just the final question is, yeah, when you look forward in marriage, is your hope controlled by the promises of Jesus Christ? Is your hope controlled by he's with you in the boat? And that's all you need to know. What's coming tomorrow? No idea. You just know he'll be with you. You know he'll be there. You know there'll there'll be no storm that uh, that comes that he didn't bring. And no storm that comes that he doesn't intend to use for your good. And no storm that'll come that he doesn't intend at some point to quiet it. And to be continually reminding one another of this in marriage. And continually fixing our hope to this living hope. Let me pray for us. Father, we so thank you for this 24 hours together. We so thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We so thank you for the men and women who have labored to bring about this time for us. And we thank you for your word. And that through your word, you reveal your glory. Through your word, you show us Christ in action. Through your word, you expose in us false hopes false dreams, false peace, but you don't leave us there. You redeem us. You change us. You teach us. You don't just throw us out of the boat, but you feed our faith. You fix our eyes on you. And so we pray that more and more in the hours ahead and the days ahead that in our marriages, our hope would be fixed to him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.